Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And what a show we have in store. We'll somehow try and dissect the events of an astonishing final day of the second test between England and New Zealand, with England smashing their way to an extraordinary five wicket victory thanks to Johnny Bairstow's extraordinary hundred. We'll review all the action from Trent Bridge and here from both Ben Folks and Daryl Mitchell. As well as that, we'll look ahead to the start of the ODI series between the Netherlands and England with every ball live on the TalkSport network. Plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Johnny Bairstow has surely secured his short-term, long-term place in the test side with uh, that remarkable knock in the fourth innings, uh, the second fastest century by an Englishman and the second fastest in the fourth innings of a test match as well. 100 off just 77 balls. He was 43 not out of 48 balls at tee and was eventually dismissed for 136 off 92 balls, 14 fours and seven sixes. Harmy, is this, is this the New England? Is this the, the, the England that's been shaped by Brendan McCullum? It looks like, it looks like yeah, I still can't get my breath back for what I was watching. 160 with 38 overs to go after T. We win with 20 overs to go. You know, he spotted, to be fair, everybody's expecting a near back and finish, and boy, did Johnny spoil that. It was amazing. I thought New Zealand contributed, what was it, the first over 13, next over 13, 17, then 18, the four overs straight after T, with a bounce of barrage to the short boundary, which was just basically a flick. But he was magnificent. I keep questioning Johnny. Come on. We've all got to. We've all got to keep questioning him. Yeah, Johnny's, Johnny should be out the team every week because if he's going to do that when people question him, I tell you what, I'll question him every single time. No matter how well Harry Brooks playing, no matter how well anybody else in county cricket's playing, I'm going to keep questioning Johnny and tell him his place is, his place is up. He's, he's the one spot that the, it's up for grabs. 
never, I've never, I would never question Johnny because I said in the following on podcast throughout this week, the only reason I wanted Johnny Bairstow to keep wicket was because I wanted Ollie Pope in the side because of how good he is. And he showed that in this game. Ben Folks has been magnificent. Nothing against Ben Folks. But Johnny Bairstow, he's been messed about with England so many times. And we've talked about Moen coming back and all that, another one. But Johnny Bairstow, he keeps delivering. He keeps delivering 100 in, um, in Australia, 100 in the West Indies. And he said it after the game, well, the best, this is the best 100 he's, he's ever had in Test match cricket. He also talked up when asked about Joe Root. He also talked up about how the last two years has been in the England dressing room and the environment that this team has had to put up with and had to play through and the freedom that they feel now because they're allowed out of the COVID environment, the COVID bubble, and how how much of a release it's been, which has obviously contributed and coincided with McCullum and Stokes coming in. So all in all, it's been a wonderful day for English cricket, for international cricket, a test cricket, largely down to Johnny, but also largely down to Nottingham, Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club to let 17,500 people in for free. That also helped get the players and the buzz and everything going, and it made for what a spectacular finish to an unbelievable test match. And fair play to New Zealand. No slowing down tactics. They got on with it, went for the game, and the best team won in the end. One man you didn't mention there was the captain, Ben Stokes. Now, he's scored a runner ball and, he, and he, barely, he barely made the titles, you know, the, the, the credits. He's, he's played the supporting act. He's scoring at a runner ball. Um, I thought he was brilliant. There were a lot of people that said, why was he trying to hit every ball out of the park in England's first innings? They thought that uh, he could have played with a bit more responsibility. But you know what? I mean, I just loved watching him playing the supporting role. Amazing. And, you know, he it shows that he is perfectly capable, if anybody ever had any doubts, of doing the right thing as captain. Yeah, he was he was magnificent. You know, one of my one of my best mates, one of the a football coach. Um, he was my assistant manager at Ashton, he's now the Ashton manager. Um, we went for a drink on on Sunday night, and I mean he teaches coaching in football. And he was asking me about why Ben played the way he played. And he was questioning why Ben played the way he played. Was it reckless? Was it? And I said, no, he's trying to win the game. The only way he sees, Ben sees winning this game, is to get somewhere close, if not past New Zealand. But he had to do it quickly. Um, and he sent me a message at the end of the game there saying, I'm going to stick to football. Nor did I know about cricket. What, a, <laughs> what an innings it was to try and get him in a position to win the game. What a mindset. We are, how good it was. Um, and that was, you know, that, and, and we're gonna, you're going to get, the thing that I like about today is Ian, who texts me, who's a cricket fan, but, you know, predominantly football, you're going to have a lot of that around the country on test cricket. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. There's people at Trembridge today who've never been in a cricket match in their life. And they've been, they've been, they've been entertained by Johnny Bestow and Ben Stokes. But the whole thing was set up because of the mindset of the England cricket team. New Zealand got 553 in the first innings and they're getting beat with 20 overs to go. And that was largely down to the positivity and the mindset of Ben when he walked out to bat, just avoided the follow-on, five down, four down, five down. And he went, he went ballistic, 40 yard. And people were saying, Oh, what's he done that for? Why has he played that innings? Played that innings because he had a rock at the other end in Joe Root. And he also knew that there's the only one way out we can win this game. Forget drawing it, forget getting beat. There's only one way we can win it. 
is if we try and score quickly. It could have fell down around him, but it didn't. And I looked at this England side, and this is what I'll get from Ben. I looked at this England side at 56 for four, 56 for three, when Joe was out. 99% of England sides in the last 50 years, 100 years, whatever, would have played for a draw, would have gone back in their shell and would have played for a draw. And I'm sitting at tea time and I'm going 160 off 38. England could lose here. England could lose here. But I'm going, if they lose, I'm going to come on this programme and I'm going to say, not so much not bothered, but if Ben Stokes has got that mentality with Brendan McCullum and wants to win a game like and tries to win games like he has done this week, he'll win more than he'll lose over the course of his four or five-year tenure as England captain. And for me, that is that is what I'm excited about with McCollum and Stokes at the helm. And here is England captain Ben Stokes. First and foremost, obviously, when you come in with the you know, new mentality and your approach towards the game, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. But I think what everybody's seen over the last two games is that we are going to go out and play the way that you know we speak about it in the media and you know the, the language that we speak in the dressing room. So yeah, I just today's just been you know still struggling to really find words for for what we witnessed out there today. It was just phenomenal. We must talk a little bit about Ollie Pope as well, his first test century in England and as many people have been pointing out his first first class century north of uh, north of the Thames. It's Joe Root's 10th century in the last 18 months. So much to to dissect here. Uh, We must talk about Ben Folks as well. We're running out of time. But, uh, you know, when New Zealand were struggling in their first innings and England were all over them at Lords in the first Test match and uh, Jimmy Anderson was bowling to six slips, I did sort of cynically think, is this the uh, the glitz glamour rock and roll era of Brent, uh, of Brendan McCullum, Baz McCullum? Is this just what it means? You know, like we, uh, I mean, it's it's hardly inventive, creative t- uh, captaincy, is it? To have six slips, but now I'm thinking, 160 needed at T. What on earth has McCullum said to Johnny Bester? What 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 has he said? What what is it? Fear of failure? What did he say to Ollie Pope? Did he walk up to him, look him in the eyes, and say, "Do you know how good you are?" Or something like that. Is that is that yeah. what it is? Uh, do you know how good you are? We are, no matter what you do in the next three games, four games, we're going to back you. We want you in our team. We don't want you playing for Surrey. We want you to be a huge member of this cricket team. We're going to back you at number three. You're going to have one of the greatest players of all time at number four behind you. So as long as you're not walking out, out as he walks in, there's a good chance in education and cricket is going to be one with one of the greatest. And I think I would be saying that, and I'm sure Brendan and Ben were saying that, seize that opportunity, seize that, you know, backing that we are giving you because we believe that you are the best player, one of the best young players in this country. You've got to show that and we are going to give you the license and we're going to give you the, the belief and the backing to go out because, and that wouldn't surprise me if Ben or, or Brendan had said, look, you're here for the next five, seven test matches. You've got the summer. We're going to back you at number three. So if you feel at Lords, who cares? If you feel at Trent Bridge, we're going to, who cares? We're going to back you all the way. And I'm sure he said that to, to Zach and to, to Alex Lees for the, first, for the first half of the summer. And I think when you get that as a player, you, you, you feel 10 foot tall. And that is what he did to Ben Folks as well. Ollie Pope's innings was a fantastic innings. You know, he'll always be frantic at the start. I think it's just the way he plays. But as he gets going and as he 
sort of gets through the first sort of 30 balls. His ability to score runs quickly is a bit like Joe Root, that sort of late cut he's got where he just taps the ball on the top of its head and it, it runs off down to third man. All of a sudden, you do that three times, then there's a fielder going down there, less catcher, and your you, you, you sort of dismissal mode is, is starting to diminish. Confidence gets high. And then you see the shots he's got. It's, it's just, it's lovely to watch. He is, he's a beautiful batsman to watch, like Ian Bell. Um, and as good a, as good a, as pleasing as he on the eye with the bat, it focuses the same with the gloves. But my only worry was England's four number tens and having enough runs at number seven because there was never any question in my mind about Ben Folkes' keeping. It was just the all-round package. Did England have enough runs in their team for Ben Folkes? He's been magnificent for two test matches. He has said, a bit like what you asked before, when you said, what has Brendan McCullum said to Holly Poe? Well, at the end of Lords, I'm sure McCullum and, and, and Stokes has gone to him and you're here to stay. We believe in you. You're just getting us over the line. You've just won a game for us. You have been there at the end. Don't worry about your place. It's yours. And I think that as a player, as an international player, is so valuable to have inside. It's a warm feeling inside. This is what Ben Folks had to say. Uh, talking about the four number tens that England have got, this is what he had to say about batting with the tail. I think there's certain areas in my game that I need to work on playing for England. Um, I think the last couple of innings have suited me. Um, obviously, at Surrey, I bat five and I just bat. Um, so I think being able to do that with Ruti um, and play my natural game has, has been really good. I think the areas that I'm trying to work on is like how do I bat with the tail um, without essentially throwing my wicket away? Um, how do I do, it, do better to get more runs in that situation um, and, be, and be able to put pressure on the attack rather than just bat? It's, it's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, he's got, he's got four number 10s. It's not like he's got Ashley Giles and Matthew Hoggard at, uh, at eight and nine, um, who, who could bat, and Harmison at 10. Um, but talking of 10s, 10 drop catches by England at Trent Bridge, just quickly. Made, the, made for a better game, to be honest, man. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's made for a better game. I go, look, I, I, look, I go back to 2005, and there was a lot of similarities today about 2005 in many ways. The innings that was played by... You know, Peterson, you know, the way, you know, edge, edge bastard, the way Peterson and Flintoff went at Brett Lee, even at Trent Bridge in 2005, went at Brett Lee and they were just hitting balls out of the ground. That was like what Besta was doing today, letting people in for free. And, you know, 10,000 outside the ground in in, um, in Old Trafford. There's a lot of similarities towards that. And, God, it was, it was, it was brilliant. It's a feel-good, feel-good factor that is going with it. And... Long may it continue. Long may it continue because they've had a kick in these lads. For two years, they've had a kick in from the outside and also from the inside. And not, not because they haven't stuck together, because they have, but to live in the world they've lived in for two years, they deserve these celebrations. They really do. You know, Paul Collingwood said, and he was laughed at a little bit in the Caribbean, when he said, these guys deserve a gold medal for what they've gone through. Some of the public haven't seen what they've gone through. I tell you what, the celebrations and everything that they've done in the last two weeks, we should be loading. We should be thankful for what we've got, especially in the likes of Joe Root and one or two others. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at the second test between England and New Zealand. Tom Latham is like, 
like every Kiwi cricketer, or at least 99 out of 100. Uh, a magnanimous man, um, generous in defeat as he is in victory. And this is his reaction after that extraordinary Johnny Bairstow performance. Yeah, look, I think the way Johnny and Ben played uh, obviously took the game away from us. Um, I guess heading out uh, after tea uh, with, with two results in play, uh, you know, we're confident if we could get a couple of wickets, then, uh, then we knew we were into the bowlers. But, um, you know, sometimes you have to take your head off to, to the way guys played. And, and I certainly think we have to do that today to, to Johnny. I think the... The clean hitting, uh, you know, the power hitting that he showed uh, to take the game away from us was obviously not ideal from our point of view, but, uh, yeah, it's a full credit to them. That's Black Caps opener Tom Latham. <laughs> credit where credit's due is, a, is an often used phrase, um, but uh, my goodness me, he meant it. He said there, Harmy, that uh, he knew, they knew, they all knew England would go for the victory. Um, and that, and that's not the England that we've seen for for many years. So presumably they only knew it because their former captain is there is now head coach. Yeah, yeah. They, they, obviously they know the ins and outs of the mind of um, Brendan McCollum. Uh, look, the, the Kiwis put it brilliantly. Didn't try and waste time. Didn't try and slow things down. Didn't play any sort of mind games. They probably felt, and I still believe, at tea time. New Zealand thought we we're going to win this. James, they, they had a they weren't lucky a little bit with Jameson. Both teams dropped catches at, at yeah you know, crucial times, but that made a bit like the point I was making about two thousand and five a bit earlier. There was things happened for a reason in that series to make that series absolutely magnificent. There was things that happened in these last five days to make this game Test match memorable, and a lot of it was dropped catches. Because yeah, New Zealand only looked as though they were going to get 250 if England took their catches. And I think England would have been struggling if Joe Root had been taken out on that that sort of final, on the final uh, part of, what was it, day two or day three. So, look, New Zealand were excellent. I thought they were, they were fantastic. There's, there's three or four of them sitting there dressing them and going, how on earth am I on the losing side? Daryl Mitchell again, 190, after what happened at Lords. Blundell, 107 dismissals in the Test match. Trent Bolt, he bowled his heart out. I've coming off the back of the IPL, I've only bowled four overs every sort of four or five days. He's just bowled nearly 50 overs and got eight for 200. So there's quite a few of the New Zealand guys going, how on earth am I on a losing side here? Um, especially after getting 553. So, you know, fair play to New Zealand. They've made, they had a huge part in this game. And I still think right up until the end, they felt as though they could, they could still win that game. And even when Johnny Bairstow got out, if they had a full complement of seamers, you, they might have needed 40 to win. England talked about the tail that they've got. They, they might have still fancied themselves to go. So they're lucky enough having Jameson to go to. Might have been a slightly different, but you know things happen for a reason. And they go to Headingley with a, a 10-day rest. And I think they're the team that probably need the break more than, uh, more than England. So Daryl Mitchell, the great, great uh, New Zealand cricket story. Um, he just sort of sums up uh, so many of their success stories. Modest, humble. He got his first professional contract straight out of university, but it took him eight years of first-class cricket to finally get uh, an international cap. And he's, you know, it's baby steps, small but steady. And uh, now he scored 100 at Lord's. Um, 100 at Trent Bridge. He's put on two massive century partnerships with Tom Blundell in successive test matches, both of which seemed to materially shape not just the direction of the test match, but the result at the time. 
um, in New Zealand's favour. This was Daryl Mitchell talking about uh, Tom Blundell and uh, his relationship with him. We get on really well. He's, he's a great man. And um, although he's, he's quite quiet and, and he's very clear with how he wants to play his game. And um, yeah, I just really enjoy battling with each other. I think um, yeah, maybe we complement each other well. I'm not sure. It's probably for you to decide, not me. But playing test cricket, I don't think you need too much motivation. Um, for us, it's just, yeah, embracing we're in the silver fern. And um, I know we both, yeah, we absolutely love playing for our country. So um, yeah, anytime we can fight and, and keep trying to yeah win those little moments for our country, we'll, we'll do it every day. So Daryl Mitchell, um, and he bowls too. Um, he, he did shell a couple of catches in the slips, but generally speaking, you know, he's, uh, he's pushing 30 now. Um, and he's suddenly, you know, people saying, oh, he's burst onto the international scene. But like so many players, it's taken him a decade to become an overnight success. And um, <laughs> we wish them both the best in the third test match. What, what do New Zealand do at Headingley now when um, presumably Kane Williamson comes straight back into the team? Is it um, drop Will Young and move Devon Conway up to open? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'll be harsh on Will Young. I think Will Young's played, he hasn't had a bad time of it at all. I think he's he's done done quite well, but it's Kane Williamson. It's like Joe Root missing. It was like Joe Root missing next week. And it's like, well, who do we, who do we drop? Everybody's just got a hundred, but we've got to drop somebody for India because Joe's got to come back in. And it's it's there's no way in the world that Kane Williamson's not going to play ahead of He's obviously he's, he's over the COVID. He's fit. It's somewhere he knows well. Um, played a lot of played a bit of county cricket at Headingley, so you know, there's no doubt Kane will come back in the side. And I think actually Tom Leighton will be happy that Kane's back just to have a little bit of a mental rest after the exploits of the last five days. I think it's Will Young. I think. No doubt Conway goes in first. Be interesting to see what they do with the bowlers. Saudi had a, a tough game, but it's Headingley. And if there's any cloud cover or any sort of indifferent weather forecast over Headingley over five days, be a brave man not to play Tim Saudi at Headingley. There's no way Jimmy Anderson will be left out at Headingley. So Jameson's going to miss. Is it simple? Wagner in for Jameson and Williamson in for... For Will Young, probably the way I would go if uh, if I was picking that New Zealand side. Okay, um, talking of all rounders and injuries, th- there are concerns. I guess there are always concerns about Ben Stokes' fitness, but um, I'm sure he'll recover, and I'm sure that uh, that that it'll be business as usual. Mm-hmm. But just imagine if it isn't. Who? How would they re- England replace him, and and who would captain the team? <laughs> The, I think the simple one. I think the simple one would be who replaced him, and that would be Harry Brook. I think Harry Brook just slots in at number six, and England go with the. Did they then then try and if they felt as though it, the the seaman was more of an option than the spin, because we'll probably come on to Mo and Ali and you know his comments in the week. If no Ben Stokes, then England have to play four seamers, and that would be for me it would be. Harry Brook to bat at number six, and you probably look to bring bring a, a batting fourth seamer in, you know, a Craig Overton type. Chris Wokes is not fit to come in at number eight and bowl seam rather than have you know Jack Leach as your as your spinner and probably use Joe as your spinner. Um, so that's the way I'd, I'd look at it. That I think it's simple on the captaincy. If it's a one-off game, you kept Joe Root captains. It's simple as that. He, he captains a game. He, he, you just look at the, the lad's response over the course of the last three weeks. 
captaincy or not captaincy, he's on that balcony smiling. Yeah, he's, he's that cheeky little chappy again who has got the world off his shoulders. I think if Ben Stokes was injured for next week at Henley and Ben Stokes turned around to Joe and said, Joe, look, you, can you do me a favour? I think Joe would do it. And I think Joe would, would front up and say, look, the best thing to captain this side, Johnny couldn't captain it, I don't think. Folks would be the next option. Broad Anderson, possibly for a one-off game. But you've had somebody that's captain for five years. He's got the best record of wins of England captains. It's only a one-off game. It's a no-brainer. He captained Yorkshire in the 2020s for a few weeks. I would go back to Joe and say, look, Ben's only going to miss one game. Can you do us a favour? And I've got no doubt whatsoever that he would, he would do it because what he's done for the last five years and what he's done for the last three weeks is put England cricket team first. And you can, you can see by his body language, there's no hang-up. He's not captain anymore. There's no look as though there's a, a, an individual there who is not involved in this group. I was part of the group when Nasser Hussain gave up. And Nasser, I think Nasser really had a struggle early on with Vaughan when it was, you know, what to, what to do, what to say. Nasser had played for five years where he had basically shouted bold at everybody. So there wasn't this warm relationship with all the players that, that comes with it. As much as we loved him, he was a, you know, Nasser was a different character. Joe's not like that. And I think Joe will, if if has to be, for one game, I think he'd step up. But I'm looking at Ben and I'm thinking, he might not bowl in the next test match, but try and get somebody to stop him from playing. Um, he'll play on one leg next week at Henley. Well, exactly, Harmy. If you uh, if you need to go away on a stag weekend, you ask your best mate to look after your dog, don't you? Yeah, exactly. You do, you do. So <laughs> I'm sure Joe would, would have no qualms whatsoever in stepping up again. My country need me. I'll come and do it. Absolutely. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, the one and only Steve Harmison. Still to come, we'll look ahead to the upcoming ODI series between England and the Netherlands, which is exclusively exclusively live on the Talksport network. But next, we'll discuss the news that Moen Ali has made himself available for test selection again. In his own words, he is unretired. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June 
which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. In a moment, Harmy, we're going to talk about uh, Moen Ali and his um, official unretirement. But um, we always have to mention Jimmy and Brody. Um, in in the show and Jimmy Anderson of course went past 650 wickets Um, and also a word about Alex Lees we haven't mentioned him he seems also another player to have been uh, if not reborn he's certainly uh, reinvigorated yeah I thought he's I've got a lot of time for Alex Lees I I know the boy personally I spent a bit of time with him in the Caribbean and now he's done all right I can say this with with, with sort of every due respect to the lad, that I just felt in the, the Caribbean he didn't believe in himself. He didn't believe that he belonged in international cricket. He played some great innings defensively and he showed some great resilience defensively in uh, the Caribbean, got starts. He was fifth out and sixth out in Grenada, 30 not out each time, whereas literally the house was burning down around him. Um, but this last two weeks, he's he's sort of. It just seems as though, like everybody else, the shackles are off, and there's a belief there that he he belongs in international cricket. Thought the way he came out and set the tone in the second innings at Trent Bridge was excellent, and in the days of the opening batsman, England's opening batsman, which has been a revolving door of moving parts and heads falling over and hands out, you know, arms and legs everywhere, you know, doing the hokey cokey a lot at the start when the ball's nipping around a bit. It's so refreshing to see somebody just go forward and back, defend it or hit it, yeah, leave it or hit it. You know, play with nice straight back defensively and have a sound technique and absorb the game, absorb the ball if needs to be at the start. And he came out and he got the first 25 runs himself in the second innings when England were going to sort of go and set that platform. So I'm really pleased for him because it looks as though he's just coming out of his shell a belonging in international cricket, which is great. And Broad and Anderson, well... A bit like what you say about Ruth. There's not much more you can say about the two of them because they are brilliant. I think Stuart's getting better and better as the summer's going on. I think he's probably been... Jimmy's been looked as though he had a bit more rhythm than Stuart um, over the course of the two test matches. But they've both been excellent. They give you so much control. When they start a session, they give you so much control. And then as a captain, you've got the second half of the session to do what you want with it. And I think Potts is learning a lot off the back of the, the two of them. And Jimmy, 650. It's I, I keep making a joke. I look, I look down at sort of my body and my torso as I'm trying to swing a golf club around my belly. And I'm going, he made his one-day debut three days before I did. You know, he's still playing. 
he got the same he's got the same amount of wickets now after the age of 30 that Sarian Botham got on his whole career. And Sarian Botham had was leading wicket taker for England for the best part of 30 years. For the best part of 30 years, you know, when I was playing, the, the leading wicket taker was Sarian by about 70. It's like Alan Shearer's Premier League record in my growing up that nobody's going to get anywhere near it. Never, never, nobody's going to get anywhere near it, never mind close to it. And Jimmy's now took more wickets since the age of 30 than Beefy's got in his career, or the same amount. He's just phenomenal. No, it's phenomenal. He's the greatest. Um, and we are so lucky to have Roots and Anderson and Broad in the same side because in years to come, we'll be looking back on greatness. There's a show of uh, extraordinary performances. So Moen Ali has always struck me as a man who doesn't particularly enjoy his time in the limelight unless it's actually on the cricket field. But he's been doing quite a lot of media recently and um, he's confirmed that uh, Brendan McCullum called him and asked him about his availability for the test tour of Pakistan. And he has now, in his own words, officially unretired. I expected a widespread reaction of of, of wide-armed gratitude and, and welcome. Um, but um, it's interesting, actually. There have been a, a couple of uh, dissenting voices um, about this short-lived test retirement. Where, where do you stand on it? I don't know, Manners. I really don't know. As a man of many words and some would say strong opinions, I actually don't know where I stand on this, if I'm brutally honest. Um, I listened to it. I was, I was sitting at... Um, I was sitting at Berwick Cricket Club watching Charlie play cricket as Alistair and so Alistair and Moen had a, a little ding-dong again in the commentary studio of uh, of the radio and it was good listening, it was honesty but I don't know where I sit on this because 2007, the Ashes 217 and 219 really harmed Moen, I think, physically and mentally. I think technically he was challenged with the short ball um, and Australia do like to have a go at the spin bowler. And I think Moen just sort of questioned himself during that time. Um, and then he was so unlucky when he was in the same taxi as Chris Wokes going to Sri Lanka and he missed a lot of Sri Lanka, the COVID world, the bubble and everything that was going with it. I just think he, he did. He said he fell out of love with the game and, and, did he retire? Did he not retire? He just put himself not up for selection, which is probably the same thing. But now he wants to come back. And I'm just, part of us wants him to come back and play next week at Heavenly. I really would. I would like no better. I would love him to come back and say, right, that's a kiss. Go and play at Heavenly next week. Could have played at Worcester this week at Durham on a flat one. Go and play at Heavenly next week against New Zealand. Bad at number eight. Solves a lot of English problems. But what it does is it ends Jack Leach's career. He don't come back from this. If Mo and Ali walks back in the team, Jack Leach is finished. Um, there was a lot of talk of Adil Rashid. I don't get that one. For me, that ship sailed, unfortunately, with that one. We've got Matt Parkinson, a, a young leg spinner, who I think is not, is not as good as Adil Rashid. But if you give him exposure in international cricket, the ceiling level could be a lot bigger, get bigger and better. And I think he'd invested time and money into Matt Parkinson. You might get you know, a good comeback from it. But Moen, it's like, when does he then fall out of love with Test cricket again? New Zealand on the horizon, or where does he go there? Because there's a there's millions of um, franchise white ball competitions around the world, and he's king of the franchise. He wins. He's a serial winner. So I'm not so sure, and I'm saying this as an, as honestly as I possibly can because I think the world of Moen Ali. 
I've known him about Ali since he was 17. I, he played in the same on the 19 side as my brother. I've seen him from such a young age and I think the world of him. I think he's a magnificent cricketer and he's been a great role model for English cricket. But what are we bringing him back for? What reasons are we bringing him back for? Are we bringing him back to win the next game? I don't have a problem with it. Are we bringing him back for longevity? I would question that because I don't think Mullen wants to come back for the long term. If it's just simple one tour, a little bit like bygone days when Sean Udall, 40-year-old, came and played in India and Pakistan because we literally didn't have another spin bowler. But no problem with that. Where's ECB's mindset of what they're seeing in Moen's future? And I think if they put that on the table, then we'll be a lot clearer on what Moen's coming back for. So for me, I'm still not 100% sure that we bring Moen back for the right reasons. If we're bringing him back just to win a cricket match and not bothered that he's going to miss New Zealand and go and go play in franchise, then what you're saying to, you're saying that's it for Jack Leach. And you're probably saying, well, we don't believe Matt Parkinson's good enough. Yeah. Uh, Where do you sit on that one, Manners? Because you've seen you've seen cricket from all angles, all political worlds, everything that comes with selection. Where do you sit with the Moen one? And you heard what he was saying to Sir Alistair Cook. I just hope he's thought it through. I hope it's not an emotional decision. I hope it wasn't spontaneous. I think uh, that it's very important that he, he has really thought it through, looked at the Future Tours programme, looked at the Test Series coming up, um, and that it's a considered judgment call that he's made if it's spontaneous um, and if he's um, suddenly uh, being caught up in the emotion and the razzmatazz of Baz McCullum calling him up and 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 you know giving him the you're the greatest Mo um, and then being caught up in that then I think it could be an error but um, I don't I don't know all of that so um, I think it's exciting um, and worrying in equal yeah. <laughs> in equal measure I want to talk about <laughs> you because last week you said on TalkSport that you wouldn't, out of a sense of loyalty to one of your best friends ever, uh, you wouldn't apply for the role of chief scout or, or, or head selector that James Taylor has vacated by leaving uh, the ECB. You wouldn't apply because you wouldn't want to put your, one of your best mates, Rob Key, um, in an awkward situation, um, which, which is really interesting, but I think flawed because you'd be, I, I think you'd be brilliant, but I'm biased. If you happen to be brilliant in that role and you didn't apply because Rob Key is the director of cricket and he's one of your best mates, um, then I think you'd be doing a disservice to the game. Sounds a bit harsh, isn't it? Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I, look, I, I, I don't know where I, I sit with that. I just... When I when I seen when uh, I was obviously on air when James the news to James Taylor broke and when it came to it, obviously I applied for the job eight years ago and got a a poor email back off the ECB because they didn't believe it was me apparently, um, and I got a nice handwritten letter by Paul Downton to to apologise to say look not for you this time and they actually made the right choice because it went with Angus Fraser and the media that Angus Fraser and Swanee had seen which was good. And then after that, I didn't see the point of playing the next time for the simple fact I probably knew Strauss had his man in Ed Smith and what he wanted to do. And at the time, the England cricket team, it wasn't a hard team to pick. You know, the the one-day team was one of the best teams going. The test team was going all right. It wasn't really a challenge. But this time, when when Alan Brazil asked me about it, I was like, I'd still be interested because I'm, I'm doing a service to the game of cricket that I love and want to be involved in. 
I like watching good young players. Man, as me and you have done this programme for 18 months now, and we did county cricket, and we talk, we talk, I think, such a good light about, I try to promote some of the best young players in the country. I'd love to go and watch them. I'd love to go and watch them and run my eyes over, well, yeah, he's probably not right for test match cricket. Yeah, this kid, he might be, there might be two or three better, but his temperament's a lot, he looks as though it's a lot better, which will be better for international cricket. Um, the Rob Key one, it's a difficult one because of what we've gone through personally. I wouldn't have a problem applying for it. Um, I just, when I said it, I would be very, very difficult because of the relationship we've got. But if it came to it that there was something I could do inside the ECB to make the felt as though the English cricket game wouldn't be, be better and I'd be good at it, I wouldn't think twice. Uh, and, and like Rob Key has done, like Darren Goff has done, work so hard to get themselves in a broadcast and in the media and, and give the game that side. I think trying to and, and make the game better for players is is what I'd, I'd love to do. And um, if that was if that was the case and it worked for everybody, then great. If not, I'll keep talking about the game and try and build the game up as much as we possibly can. But I love watching young players play and I'd love to try and shape the game of cricket. So if it did come about, I, would, I wouldn't think twice of saying yes. If you applied and you got the job, please ask Rob if you can carry on doing the Cricket Collective. <laughs> I'd love to. Okay. Oh, man, I'm not going to leave you. <laughs> a ball is hit this high and hard. That's gone under the ground. My goodness, that's a big six. Van Beek to Walter Bonner. Slip back in. Oh, takes him off the pad. That's close. Out first ball, LBW. It's just a great opportunity for the Dutch to showcase what they've been doing um, with their cricket for the last couple of years. Anderson Phillips on his way. Right arm over it down the leg side. It's been helped around by Vikram Jit Singh once again. Slip in place as Rashid goes in. Ball in. Absolute beauty with the googly. It's fantastic. Everyone's really excited so far. Here comes <laughs> Rapid and Balls. This one is chopped high. Hard. Hopefully we can get a, a couple of really good results on the board against England as well. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. More international cricket comes to Talk Sport Network this week as we bring you live and exclusive ball-by-ball co- coverage of the three ODIs between the Netherlands and England from Amstelveen, just outside Amsterdam. And to help us look forward to uh, the series, we're joined by well-known cricket writer Bertus de Jong, who's a specialist in the Associate Nations. Bertus, it's um, the first time from an English point of view that Matthew Mott takes charge of the England White Balls squad, and uh, he's uh, assisted by Mark Elaine and Neil Killeen for that series in Amstelveen. Um, What did you make, first of all, of the Netherlands' performance against the West Indies? Um, And there are a couple of changes, obviously, that they've, uh, they've strengthened the squad for the England series. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, overall, given the the squad uh, that the Netherlands had, and of course uh, they've got some long-standing availability problems, uh, I think the Dutch would have been. I mean, they'd been impressed and pleased with the, how a lot of the younger players played, but I mean, three 0 isn't necessarily a, a result that anyone's going to be happy with. Uh, and although the Dutch were competitive um, in phases in in all three games, uh, I think that really. They'd, they'd rather be looking to, you know, to lose too heavily and win one than, than end up with nothing to show for their efforts at the end of it. And they have, yeah, they've brought in, so Tom Cooper has uh, come back into the side for the England series. I'm not sure that it's likely he would have got that phone call if the Netherlands County contracted players had been available for this series. But that's something that they've been struggling with throughout the, throughout the Super League. 
How important is it to have a full strength side if the associations are going to compete? What I mean there, you just touched on it. Counties not releasing releasing their players. I thought the, I thought the Netherlands did quite well against the West Indies. It's a different a ball game altogether to come up against a, a, a strong England batting side. But how important is it that the counties, you know, the ICC get involved and release players for international cricket? It's very disappointing um, from a Dutch perspective, just because uh, with this being now the last edition of the Super League, it's they they really think they have a responsibility not just to to you know to give the home fans something to cheer for, but they're really they see themselves as representatives of all the associates, and. You've got a situation now where both the ICC and the ECB have been on the record saying that it's important that counties release players and that, that you know, the primacy of the international game is something uh, that they both uh, stand for and can get behind. But there's been you know, very little involvement from, from either of those supports when it comes to the KNCB uh, negotiating with, with players and with counties to get these guys released. Now, from a, from a Dutch perspective, at the end of the day, the, the problem is, of course, just that they, they don't have their players playing in the Netherlands because it's very difficult to make a living as a professional cricketer in the Netherlands. Um, so they'll see a lot of their best players will be playing at counties. And for the players, there's, there's really uh, very little that you can do because that's where you make your living. And that's, it's not just about money. It's also, you know, these are, when you're playing for a county, they're the guys that you train with, the guys that you, you, you know, that you see day in, day out. And there's a degree of loyalty there as well. And they don't want to let their counties down any more than they want to let the, the KNCB down. But when it comes to a three-way negotiation between the counties and the KNCB and the players, there's only really one of those three parties to have any 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 power, any say. Um, and if the ICC and the ECB uh, don't step in, or at least encourage counties to release players, then you're going to see this time again. And it's, though, yeah, the Dutch did impress, and it does give this opportunity to, you know, the Dutch played three teenagers in that series that hadn't had a lot of uh, exposure at that level. And, and you saw some great stories, but the Dutch want to win these games, not just for themselves, but to show that the associates cricket can, if not you know, dominate, then at least compete at this level. And it's, yeah, it's just really disappointing that when you've got a summer like the Dutch have that they've never had before and they probably never get again, that they can't get their best 11 on field. Bertus, um, you've got your finger a lot closer to the pulse of associate cricket than I have, but it's my understanding that the letter of the law or the contract actually does give the Netherlands the right to insist that those players come and play. But the amount of, well, cash and goodwill that the likes of Colin Ackerman and Rulof Vanamova would lose by going and playing for the Netherlands as much as they might, they might want to. But I, my understanding is that the Netherlands Cricket Board could insist that their players come and play, but there would be too much for them to lose, the players, that is. Yeah, I think, I mean... In theory, under uh, the mandatory release rules um, for the ICC, then the, the Netherlands could use the, the so-called nuclear option um, and refuse to issue uh, no objection certificates um, to the players and they wouldn't be able to play county cricket either. But the trouble with that, from a Dutch perspective, is not only that they, they, don't, they don't want to do that, they don't want to you know, hurt these players' careers, they, because they're, the, the fact that being a professional cricketer in the Netherlands is not really a viable option. Of the even the, the national team players, of the two players that are on contracts, it's really only Peter Saylor that makes a, a, a living wage from the KNCB. Uh, the rest have to subsidise it with contributions from their clubs and from, from coaching and the like. So the, the Dutch are keenly aware of the fact that if you want a young uh, Dutch player to think that he can make a career as a cricketer, you can't have that without the option of playing 
you know, either across the North Sea or in, say, New Zealand or in Australia, they know that if, you know, these youngsters coming up thinking, I'm going to make a career as a cricketer, it's not just about the players that are at playing county cricket now. It's also about these, these kids coming up that they want to believe that they can have a career as a county cricketer and that's, or, you know, as a professional cricketer at all. And that is not something, at least at the moment, um, that's a reasonable prospect uh, in the Netherlands. So it's, it, isn't, it isn't purely that, you know, that the county be unable to get these players over. They don't want to spoil those relationships with counties. And they've, they've, you know, the county be have a long-standing relationship with, with English cricket. Um, the Dutch are maybe the only other cricket country in the world that routinely cheer for England in test games. You know, it goes back, you know, over a century, that relationship. And it's not something that the KNCB um, really want to poison through, through, yeah, through taking that kind of option. Now, I've been a big advocate of, of especially of Ireland. Being, we all talk in the Eng- English game, English cricket. You listen to someone like Kevin Peterson, who has said, yeah, it goes back to 10 first-class matches. We need to reduce everything, reduce everything. I've been saying for the last four or five years, we don't have to reduce everything. Reducing the games, but we could have more teams. And the more teams, for me, would it be Ireland, Scotland, and now the Netherlands have come into the equation. Could the Netherlands be... Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, a viable the- option to play, especially in the 50-over competition. So the 50-over competition and the T20 Blast, if you added Ireland, Scotland and the Netherlands to have three groups of seven for 21 teams in 50-over and 20-over competition, all of a sudden, the chances of, no- the, of the Netherlands players becoming more professional because there'll be more games, there's more money, there's more... And that will enhance that. And it will help help Northern Hemisphere cricket because teams like test teams will come over and play more in Amsterdam, in Ireland and in, and in Scotland. I mean, it's a fantastic idea and it's something that, that used to be the case. I mean, the, the Netherlands and Scotland and Ireland have in the past all competed in, uh, in English county competitions. And I've spoken to players sort of from that era. So if you talk to, say, you know, a Peter Boren or a, a Tom de Groot or, you know, even Peter Saylor, they like played a lot of these games in the, you know, the old English uh, 40 over competition as it was then. And they said, you know, this, it was huge for us just to play on, on good wickets and to play against, you know, other guys of that level, you know, a step up from what you get in club cricket here. Um, where you have, you know, 40, 50 overs of good bowling, you know, you, you can't just wait on the bad ball. And they said it was hugely important to them for their development. And not only that, but it gave them like, huge confidence on the field, um, specifically, of course, in the, the I, I hate to remind Englishmen of this, but, you know, 2009 and 2014, when they got on the field against England uh, the last time, and they said, you know, we know these guys, we played against them. And yeah, you know, they're, they're a step above and these are serious players and they're a good team, but they're not a team we can't beat. And I think it's a great shame that that's been lost. I think especially because the, you know, the ICC side of, of um, cricket development has, has shrunk and ICC Europe has barely, it barely exists anymore and barely organises competitions anymore. That the idea, like at the time during, you know, those 2014 reforms was that full members would step up more and do more or for regional development. And you just don't, you don't see that in Europe. You know, you don't really see the ECB taking that leading role, not just for the Netherlands and Ireland, Scotland, but for, you know, smaller countries in, in, in helping with, you know, grow the game on the European continent. And I think it's a great shame when, you know, you've seen that it's, it can work. The Dutch were competitive, you know, Scotland were competitive in those tournaments, you know, in the English competition. And that, that they've been, you know, just dumped out um, after that reorganisation of the, the English um, one day competition. I think that's, I think it's a great shame and it's, it's a huge loss to, 
to you know to the game not just to the Dutch but to the game in Europe altogether. Bertus, um, a word about some of the players who are in the squad. Obviously, Tom Cooper is back. Um, we've seen a little bit of uh, Musa Ahmed, but it was the first sighting that uh, any of us had had during the West Indies series of his younger brother, Shariz Ahmed. I can tell you that Hami fell instantly in love yeah, with the 19-year-old leg spinner. And, you know, there are some really good cricketers. Um, Vikram Jit Singh uh, impressed us all at the top of the order. We know how reliable Max O'Dowd is. English fans will be looking at their squad and going, Owen Morgan, Moen Ali, Joss Butler, Sam Cut, Liam Livingston, Adil Rashid, Jason Roy. It's, it, you know, there's some eye watering talent in that England squad. And they'll be expecting to just mow the, the Netherlands down and, and blow them away. But that might not happen. Well, I mean, you, you certainly, you never know. And I think when the, the West Indies came, uh, a few weeks ago, they, they maybe thought the same initially, but not for long, um, that even though the Dutch aren't at full strength, and it's easy, you know, we spent a while griping about the whys and wherefores and how unfortunate it is, but it is great to see that the Dutch have the ability then to bring these kids forward. You know, Vikram might not have made uh, the New Zealand tour, he might not have made uh, the squad for the Windies or this squad, um, if it weren't for the unavailability of you know, senior bats, uh, you know, like Tendo, Ryan Tendiscato retiring and Stefan Ibo now retiring and uh, Ben Cooper stepping back um, and the like. So you've got these guys coming through and it's a bit of a baptism of fire for them. You would have maybe liked uh, to have, you know, a, a proper A-team programme, which the Dutch can't really afford for these guys to learn uh, before being, you know, dropped in at the deep end, so to speak. But it is, you know, you do see these fantastic stories, you know, just uh, Vikram has that licence to... Um, to go hard in the power play and he, he's shown that he, he has that ability and yeah sure he's coming in should have had a wicket first ball got a wicket with the second ball and it's it's great to see Ian Dutt also a teenager just 19 with uh, Nicholas Purin in his pocket got him out three times in the series out of three and it is and you know it's great to see whether the Dutch can compete against oh I think you know when the when the England squad was released we thought oh maybe they'll send a B team maybe they'll send something you know like what they they put up against Pakistan we, you know, quite a lot of people in the Netherlands when they saw, oh, okay, well, they're, they're really not messing about then. They're sending everyone that's not playing New Zealand right now. And whether the Dutch think they have a chance, well, they're, they're certainly going to give it a good shot. And uh, the way that they, they played against the West Indies um, tells me that they're not going to roll over here. Your prediction? I'm uh, Only because I don't actually have to put any money on it, I'm going to say 2-1 England. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Who's going to stand out, though, for the Netherlands? Who, who, who are the three, are the three games... Am I going to go away thinking he's a future star of associated cricket and potentially potentially playing county cricket in the future? Uh, well, I think well, Vikram we saw against um, against uh, the West Indies and what he can do in the power play and how comfortable he is against against you know serious pace at this level. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if he does a similar thing against England. What I would like to say is that we have not seen the best of Buster Lady yet, uh, and he would I think already. I mean. The, the trouble, of course, with Brexit is that it's far harder for Dutch guys to get into county cricket these days because they, they no longer count as local players. But um, I think Bastelader, who's, who's not just been um, batting well, uh, and he's actually probably the, the quickest bowler in the team now, certainly uh, given that um, the likes of Brandon Glover and uh, Fred Klaas and Paul Vermeer are not available. So Bastelader's one, I think, that will, will step up for this series. And aside from that, I think that also that Max O'Dowd, the fact that Tom Cooper comes into that middle order gives both Max O'Dowd and... Um, Vikram, that license at the top. I think Max probably, certainly in that last game against the West Indies, 
felt too much responsibility on his shoulders because he felt that there wasn't enough coming in middle order. Um, and that's why he kind of went into his shell through middle order. So I think we'd like to see Max O'Dowd playing a bit more freedom in this series. Uh, we had Ryan Tendiscata commentating with us uh, during the West Indies series, and he agreed with you. He said that uh, he believed Bastelera would would have uh, had a very good chance of making a successful county cricketer, a county career um, for himself. Why didn't Fred Clarsen play the T20s? And, I mean, he's he's named in the squad. I, I assume that we'll see him against England. Um, my understanding on, on Fred is that he's only going to be playing the last game. Against the West Indies, he was down to play, and that was the intention. But he was he picked up, I don't think he was seriously injured, but I think he picked up something of a niggle and Kent weren't uh, wild about the idea of him, him bowling 10 overs, three ODIs in a row. So there was a bit of a concern there. So that, that was my, the intention was, and I think he had his, his fights booked and he was going to play against the West Indies. But that was, an, that was an injury concern, which turned out to be not maybe quite as serious, which is why it did end up turning out for Kent. He's, he's only available for the last ODI, sadly. Uh, but again, I think um, he's, he's spoken about this uh, recently, is, is that you have to juggle these things. And um, if Kent needed him, they, play a sal- they did just pay a salary, but he has, he has a loyalty to Kent now. And I think that's something that the game should be understands, especially as, of course, and this is the, the, the unfortunate thing, is that the Super League, which has made these games possible, uh, won't be continuing after the next World Cup. Um, so while the Dutch would initially have been fighting to stay up and maybe would have gone a bit harder on availability and maybe a bit more, made more money available to compensate the counties and such, don't really have anything but pride to play for in these games now. Bertus de Jong, thanks so much indeed for your time. Enjoy the series and uh, we'll be bringing it uh, to everyone else who's not at the ground live and exclusive on Talk Sport 2. Thank you, Bertus. Thanks, gents. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bertus. And a reminder, you can hear all three ODIs between England and the Netherlands exclusively live on the Talk Sport Network. It all gets underway at 9.30am on Friday morning here on Talk Sport 2. We'll be back at the same time next week to discuss the series so far and look ahead to the third test between England and New Zealand. But for now, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 